This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy, Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Could just be in me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, we're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across, uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. From poetry and prose to music, painting, and sculpture, the cultural movement known as the Harlem Renaissance produced an unprecedented array of art and social change in the United States. The end of the Civil War in 1865 ushered in the emancipation of hundreds of thousands of Black Americans who had been enslaved in the South. And by 1920, about 300,000 of them had moved north in search of economic, social, and political freedoms. This is known as the Great Migration, and it was also a time of general urbanization. Northern cities like St. Louis, Chicago, and Cleveland saw many new citizens. But Harlem in particular, a three-square-mile or 777-hectare neighborhood in New York's northern Manhattan, became a destination for around 175,000 Black Americans seeking a fresh start. It offered them lower real estate and rental prices than many other locations. But Harlem was a significant city for a number of reasons as Black Americans began reestablishing and redefining what it meant to be Black 
in a post-slavery world. We spoke with William J. Maxwell, professor of English and African and African-American studies at Washington University in St. Louis. He said, to think about it in a concrete and practical way, New York was where the existing artistic infrastructure was. The big publishing companies were now in New York and no longer in Boston. Modern art was centered in New York, and Harlem was becoming an attractive destination for Black artists. Harlem was also so important because it was the most international Black city in the United States. That's the place Caribbean migrants came, and you had people from Barbados and Haiti pouring in. Jamaicans like political activist Marcus Garvey and the poet Claude McKay were deeply involved in the movement and were coming to New York, along with a lot of Africans. Outside of Africa or Paris, New York was probably the most international black city in the world at that point. While changes were flourishing in other parts of the country as well, the movement, an explosion of literary, artistic, intellectual, and social change among black Americans, quickly became known as the Harlem Renaissance. Maxwell said, it was a self-conscious movement in the sense that the people who organized it knew they were holding a renaissance. It was called different things at the time, but it wasn't the kind of aesthetic or cultural event that was only labeled from a distance of years. It was labeled at the time it was actually happening. While many view the Harlem Renaissance as a primarily literary movement that included the birth of works from leading poet and author Langston Hughes, the golden era that lasted from approximately the 19-teens through the mid-30s also saw the proliferation of visual arts, music, theater, and more. But at its core, the Harlem Renaissance was more than an artistic movement. It was an age dedicated to reclaiming and redefining Blackness in a new way. Maxwell explained, a Renaissance is about the idea of rebirth. There are examples like with the Italian Renaissance. The Harlem Renaissance had a similar idea in the rebirth of African culture as it was before slavery. But it was also about reinventing a connection all over the Black world for cultural possibility and power. What's paradoxical about the Harlem Renaissance is that Black artists were defining what it meant to be a modern Black people. In other words, for Black people to be urban or to have found various forms of economic freedom, which is one reason it was centered in New York. After the Great Migration, there was a revival of African culture as it was before slavery, but the more important piece was defining what it meant to be a Black American in relation to modernity. According to Maxwell, the significance of the Harlem Renaissance extended beyond the arts and permeated culture as a whole. He said, there were a lot of different styles and all these people were trying to redefine blackness as modern. One of the basic elements of 19th and 20th century racism was the idea that black people were primitive or behind the curve of history. The Harlem Renaissance really pushed against that and suggested that black people may be the most modern people who have the capacity for change. One crucial way Black Americans pushed back against historic racism was to effectively transform the country's musical landscape. While jazz music had roots in southern towns and cities like New Orleans and Memphis, and was also developed in cities like Chicago, it found fame on the East Coast. Maxwell explained, classical 1920s jazz wasn't invented in New York City, but that's where jazz music first became marketable and a national commodity. Artists like Bessie Smith and Duke Ellington weren't from New York, but they played clubs there and established an audience there. New York is where early jazz joined the national entertainment industries. According to Maxwell, it's thanks to New York that the jazz imported from elsewhere began to be played on the radio and in movie theaters. 
However, a specific style of jazz did originate there. He said, some jazz did get invented in New York, a specific style called stride piano from artists like Fats Waller and James P. Johnson, who wrote the music for the Charleston. Those guys showed the power of New York City as an entertainment capital in that they became professional songwriters in Tin Pan Alley. While the Harlem Renaissance continues to be celebrated for the contributions of renowned figures like dancer Josephine Baker and artist Aaron Douglas, there's still a lot to be discovered and learned from the era. Unpublished novels by authors like Claude McKay, for example. Maxwell said, there was a great variety of work created during the Harlem Renaissance that we don't understand yet. But people know the works of Langston Hughes, the great poet who produced classical poetry soaked in black folklore and speech styles, and Zora Neale Hurston, one of the great storytellers and anthropologists, who's also known for bringing black oral forms into prose. But beyond that, there's a lot of other work, like that from a young novelist named Rudolf Fischer, who was also a serious physician and wrote witty novels, like Walls of Jericho. Also, there were young poets like Helene Johnson, who wrote witty, almost Dorothy Parker-like pieces. The Harlem Renaissance effectively ended in the 1930s after the economic effects of the Great Depression set in, causing businesses, nightclubs, and publishing houses to shutter, and writers and artists to scatter in search of employment. Although the historic period of the Harlem Renaissance hit its height a century ago, its influence has continuously impacted American culture through the decades, from its effect on the civil rights movement of the 1960s to its lasting legacy in modern arts and culture. Carrie D. Wintz, a distinguished professor of history at Texas Southern University, put it this way in 2015. The Harlem Renaissance was the first time that a considerable number of mainstream publishers and critics took African-American literature seriously. And it was the first time that African-American literature and the arts attracted significant attention from the nation at large. Today's episode was written by Michelle Konstantinovsky and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.